Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Dan Dickow here for Moink Meat. Moink was founded by an eighth generation farmer who was featured on Shark Tank. Host Kevin O'Leary said it's the best bacon he's ever tasted. And I tend to agree. And Jamie Simonoff, creator of the Ring Video Doorbell, invested in Moink. Why do just four companies control 80% of the U.S. meat industry? Because big food crushes the little guy. You can help change that with moinkbox.com. Why are 97% of the chicken served in the U.S. dipped in chlorine? Simple. Because big food doesn't have the same quality standards as the family farm. That's why you need moinkbox.com. The best bacon, the best steak, the best chicken, and the best salmon you'll ever eat won't come from the grocery store. You'll only find it on the family farm and caught by independent Alaska fishermen. That's why you need moinkbox.com. Join the moinkbox.com movement today. Go to moinkbox.com slash believe right now. And listeners to this show will get free bacon for a year with every box ordered. That's right, free bacon for a year. That's one of the best years ever. That's one year of the best bacon you'll ever taste, but only for a limited time. Spelled M-O-I-N-K box.com slash believe. That's moinkbox.com slash believe. Moink meat is so delicious. It's awesome. I think you will love it too. Get Moink right now. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Here's Dickow from the deep corner for three. Uh-oh, uh-oh. It's all now. Downtown Dan connects. Every morning when I'm working out, I'm listening to your podcast. Keep up the great work. I mean, I've seen Dan Dicko hit some big shots in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> I got to salute you, man. Like, I've been watching you since I was in high school trying to mimic all your moves. Welcome to another episode of the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow. For SB Live Sports on the Believe Podcast Network, conversations throughout the field of sports. Today's an expert in a lot of things hoops. He's got a tremendous background, uh, both himself, both his family. Um, interested to hear some of his takes on his alma mater. Not only when he was there, where they're at now, and seemingly where they're headed, because they're headed back to prominence, I think, on a consistent basis. Chris Johnson. Chris, how is life? Because I see the sun uh, peeking out from behind you in the windows. H- how is life down in Southern California? Uh, life is good, Dan. I cannot complain. I'm um, happy to be here on your show. Big fan of yours. Uh, straight baller uh, throughout your career. So props to you. But uh, just excited to be on your show, bro. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you joining. I, I love connecting with with different guys that maybe I've played against uh, back in college or I've, I've kind of got connected to. Um, because as you know, the world of basketball is so small, like literally 
you probably had four or five really close friends of yours that were teammates of mine at some point and vice versa. Uh, That's just how the basketball world goes. Uh, When you think about your kind of upbringing in the LA basketball scene, uh, I'm just going to get right to it. You were a part of a great era in the 90s. Uh, You played at Crenshaw. Uh, Another guy that comes to mind for me who was my year in high school, uh, Kevin Bradley, right? Uh, and then there were some other really good players in that 90s era. Baron Davis, Chris Burgess, to name a few. Uh, Kenny Bruner, uh, Dino, Dino Tanner, who played at Oregon State. What are your memories of, of high school basketball in the L.A. area? Man, growing, so it kind of, for me, started back because my father, Marcus, uh, played at Crenshaw, starred at Crenshaw, was part of the early dynasty that Coach West built at Crenshaw. So I kind of was born into it. Uh, I was brought up in these gyms. Uh, I was at the summer leagues. I was at the pro-ams. Uh, there's a pro-am called Joe Weekly's Run, Dunk, and Shoot League that they had at Crenshaw. And some of my earliest memories were seeing guys like Eldridge Hudson and John Williams and and some Freeman Williams is a name uh, that was an L.A. legend, played at Portland State, played in the league for a little bit, but just big-time score could drop 60, 70, 80 on you in the blink of an eye. And, and so growing up, and then you had the baseball guys that were hanging out too, Daryl Strawberry, Eric Davis, I'd, I'd run into Eddie Murray and kind of them guys were watching the games, you know, that's kind of the crowd. So it was a, it was incredible um, energy surrounding that early, those early years. And then having the opportunity um, moving on to the nineties, when I was in high school, you know, my story, I started out at a, a small prep school out in the Valley. Uh, called Montclair Prep. It was about five, six hundred kids. Most, you know, most of the athletes were black. It was all white for the most part. Um, and, you know, it was the lowest division in the state of California. And so my dad said that if I wanted to get serious about it, you know, and I wanted to get recruited at a, at a legitimate, not legitimate, a higher division one level, I needed to transfer to Crenshaw. And, and for me, it was like, whoa, like, you know, Crenshaw, like, come on, man. Like, <laughs> you know, first, Dan, I was living in Bel Air at the time. So we were living in Bel Air and he's telling me, and we're, so my school was in Van Nuys. So I had to, you know, I drive up the 405. It was not a bad drive. It wasn't in the greatest place in the, in the world in Van Nuys, but it was still over there. It was like, a, it was a nice campus and clothes and security, et cetera. But uh, just the idea of going to Crenshaw High School out of, from, from going through that setting and then going to Crenshaw was kind of like, whoa, okay. This is another change. Uh, this is another shift. Uh, I went down there and I played with them guys uh, for about two or three weeks. I uh, got familiar with, with the coach. And, I, you know, I could compete right away. Um, you know, for me, Dan, uh, playing against my dad in the, in the front yard, working out with him, you know, go, you know, kind of shadowing his circuit, what he did, things we're eating, nutrition, you know, everything you can imagine, just shadowing pops kind of made up for a lot of my lack of, you know, being able to be uh, like everybody else kind of playing in the Victoria Park. Although I eventually did go down there in the Slam and Jam AAU scene. I didn't make a splash, but uh, it was like my dad had me in the lab for an extended period of time, which is kind of working on me building a beast. And so by the time I got to Crenshaw, Dan, um, you know, I was ready physically, mentally, emotionally, uh, it was a culture shock a little bit at first, but I had grown up in that and, you know, it's a long story, but, you know, it wasn't as much of a culture shock as, you know, I think you'd think, but. You mentioned some some great athletes, both, uh, you know, basketball as well as baseball guys that you were around as a young guy watching. 
And I would just imagine if I remember myself when I would go to Portland and play in the Portland Pro-Am in different leagues when I was growing up, one of the things that I remember learning is to compete and a passion for the game. Is that something that, that you took from watching those older guys? Um, because, and I, and I don't want to be that guy that kind of talks about how different eras do things because things are different now. Um, but what was the biggest takeaway? Maybe would it have been that competitiveness and the passion for the game back then? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was the, the mental approach to everything. It was how to you know, deal with certain situations on the floor to gain an advantage. Um, and it was mental. So back then, you know, you did things and, you know, you, you know, you go down, you know, you soften somebody up, say, you know, I was in the post. So, you know, I'm physical, you know, I'm, you know, using a little bit of my forearms, not my bow, but, you know, all up in here, <laughs> excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. You know, you know, you're just, you know, creating space. And but so it was a little, it was a little different back then, even guards, you know, you come down, you body somebody as you're bringing it up, kind of escape dribbling him. But, you know, it's like, you can send the messages, give them the shoulder real quick, let them know you're there. Okay. <laughs> you're, I mean, tell you, I mean, you, you know, those things that help you sort of, you know, just be a more seasoned basketball player. And, and them guys talk, you know, as you're, you're a pro, so you know the importance of talking, how much actual talking actually really takes place in these basketball yeah. settings. So when I'm in the gym and I'm, you know, courtside, I'm hearing entire conversations go on up and down the floor. And so it just sort of, it blew my mind at first. You know, it's mind blowing. It's like, dang, you got to talk that much. But them guys had that type of ability to yeah. talk and execute, so. That's what I took away. No, that that's something that when I do clinics for for kids or if I'm coaching my son's team, you know, I'm all constantly talking to them about the importance of talking. Everybody, mm -hmm. you know, the buzzword is always you got to talk on the defensive end. But for people that are really in the know, that's a given. But for people in the know, it's even more so on the offensive end, like nice. literally to make sure everybody's on the same page and anybody who gets a chance to sit courtside at a high level college or NBA game will be blown away by what you just talked about. Absolutely. Take me back now to, you mentioned kind of, you know, close work with your dad. You called it the lab. I remember your game as having tremendous footwork, uh, you know, step off the block, reverse pivots, jab step, get a good defender to jump one way and then taking advantage of an angle. How did you really work on that with your dad? So, it, it it was actually like a lot of different components that were involved in my evolution for my footwork. So I'm gonna start, you know, I'm gonna keep it brief, but so <laughs> I, I, I start to ramble, but my dad- No, hey, trust me. Anybody <laughs> that knows basketball, like literally a, a, a footwork conversation can take like seven, eight, 10 minutes. So no worries, you break it down however you want. So first of all, my dad, used to show me a lot of this stuff. His big thing when I was a young man early on was a reverse pivot, was always catching on the reverse pivot. He told me, I forgot who he used to watch, but it was Elgin Baylor or, you know, Bobby Dandridge, these older small forwards, legends in the game, but they, you know, open you up certain ways. So it was reverse pivot action. I would always try to go the other way as far as catching and go inside pivot with my jab. Then being privy to workouts uh, that my dad would lead uh, in the summer times with Reggie Miller, Kiki Vandeway, Jack Haley, um, a number of other different pros. But Kiki also, as a, and I'm a young man, I'm early, I'm early, I'm 11, 12, 13, 14 years old, watching workouts, finally taking part. And Kiki 
showed me a lot just as far as, you know, the different degrees of separation. He had this thing, it was like seven degrees of separation and how to, you know, just the short, long, short, mid, long jab, you know, attacks, you know, just stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? Then uh, then using the up fake also, it's just like, so I learned that from Kiki. And then Dan, I went on a tour with my dad, one of those legends tours, right? So it was was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He was the headliner. It was called Kareem and the Traveling Daydales. And we went to Australia and Taipei, all over Australia, all over, well, not all over, but Taipei and then Taiwan. Um, so George Gervin, uh, guard by, a guard by the name of Johnny Moore, um, artist Gilmore, Kyle Macy, um, um, a bunch of other, uh, Bob McAdoo, uh, my dad, Kareem. So, you know, I'm in practice, you know, we're practicing, then, you know, they're real cool, loosey goosey. So they're showing me stuff. George Gervin showing me how to think, how you squeeze, you guys squeeze the young fellow on his finger, but you guys squeeze that thing. <laughs> you know, he's talking, he's telling me all this stuff. And I'm just, I learned how to play gin rummy and spades with these guys. And so I, I just had a crazy experience and just picked up a lot of stuff from those guys. And then even in, in high school, uh, my, my, my coach, Willie West, he worked with me on a lot of stuff. He studied, um, he just studied a lot of basketball. So he knew um, the guy from University of Oregon, I guess uh, Lonnie Shelton or one of those guys from back in the day, big time, big, big forward, but had some good stuff that I used to learn. So I just developed it, man, over years of just being around basketball, watching practices and, and really my dad just kind of setting the foundation because he helped, he he made, he came up with a lot of drills and stuff that we would do. And he had a points of emphasis that he worked on. He made, cause I was always a big guy and I could never really shed the weight. So he was just like, Hey man, you just got to have the best footwork and you know, you got to do the most with what you got. And that's, so that's what I uh, tried to concentrate on. I want to take a moment to tell you about some exciting news for high school sports fans across the country. SB Live Sports has launched a free iPhone and Android app featuring the latest high school sports news, scores, videos, polls, photos, podcasts, player rankings, and much more. With the SB Live Sports app, it is now even easier to follow your favorite team. With real-time scores and news alerts, as well as video highlights, podcasts, photo galleries, rankings, game coverage, and much more, the app delivers all the content you want in one convenient place. The SB Live Sports app features exclusive content from on-the-ground reporters across the country, and it's the number one source for Washington high school sports fans. With coverage from reporters Todd Mellis and Andy Bueller, me, Dan Dickow, SB Live's recruiting expert. This SB Live sports app is available at no charge in the Apple App Store and Google Play Store. Download it today. I love it. That's some great stories. And for a young kid to be able to travel the world and get to know and be up close with some of the legends of the game you just mentioned, uh, I can only imagine how cool that would have been for a young kid. Uh, your dad's been an NBA a- analyst for a number of years. He's he's really good at it. Um, there's other UCLA guys that have gotten into the industry and the business, and they've really leaned on you know John Woodenisms. Um, Bill Walton obviously comes to mind, um, but for you and, and your relationship with your dad, how much? phrases or commentary of what John Wooden would do because I'm always fascinated because I had a chance to meet John Wooden a a number of times and I was always fascinated but I never had a chance to really be around him like a UCLA player or like yourself not just a UCLA player but kind of part of the 
big tree because your dad played there as well. Yeah, I mean, it was a deal where, you know, you know, the majority of our conversations obviously weren't dominated by Coach Wooden, but when it was appropriate for him to sort of use, you know, some of Coach's uh, youth, um, the stay, stay sayings, he would. And um, he, he didn't overdo it, but it, it was more so the core of who Coach Wooden was that affected my dad that rubbed off on the man that he became of the, of the man that he, he, you know, he is today. Um, the, the, he, my dad's a very, he's an excellent analyst, but he also brings a level of, of just, you know, life experience, levity to situations. And then he's extremely like smart and he's like the Renaissance man. So he's really cultured. He majored in theater arts in college, Dan. I mean, just to let you know, he was an academic all American and he majored in theater arts at UCLA during a time when UCLA, was known as a big time theater arts program. So, uh, you know, that's all, he's an actor, he's a writer, he's, he's all that, he's all that. And so that's what you hear when he's out there describing the game, you know, it's, that's just who he is. And Coach Wooden obviously had a tremendous effect on him. Uh, Coach retired after his second year and they won the championship in 75. But um, everything uh, my dad has always said about Coach Wooden and, and when I experienced, you know, my, my brief, relationship up close and personal with coach you know well it wasn't brief because coach called me before my um my senior year in high school I was playing against modern day down here in the southern california regional championship and it's breakfast time and coach actually called me and wished me good luck and then when I got to UCLA he um he obviously we had some conversations um but it was when I got in trouble <laughs> and uh, and he, you know he was telling me basically like I'm gonna blow my opportunity it's like what are you doing like come on Chris and so uh you know those type of conversations and those type of um characteristics of coach just being kind being smart responsibility taking ownership and accountability for everything that goes on not only on the court but in your life I think that you know what you see from a lot of those the era of, of UCLA guys you see some outstanding men that uh, are leaders and, and are scholars and are, and are people that, you know, a lot of folks look up to and adore. And there's a reason that that thread runs through that crew like that. Cause I'm telling you, it's coach Wooden and just being around the guy, I mean, more so than anything else is what affects you the most. Yeah. I, I can only imagine how uh, to this day, kind of, if you mentioned coach Wooden amongst a group of UCLA guys who've been around him, uh, there's gotta be a certain amount of reverence, um, because of the impact that he's had on, on the game of basketball, but in particular the UCLA program with all the titles. You won a title in 95. Your alma mater, who I know you're very proud of, was on the cusp this year of getting into a title game. How, uh, how proud of you were you of UCLA? Because um, they sputtered at the end of the year, and then Mick Cronin got them playing tremendous basketball in the NCAA tournament. What, what, were, what was your thought during that run? Uh, it was it, it was magical at UCLA like there's this magical feel you get when a team makes a run we've made so many so many runs through the tournament so you know what it is when you feel it and it's the same feeling I had back in 2006 and 2007 uh, when they when they made it all the way to the final game and got and lost and I felt that energy where I, where you can just be watching the game and you kind of seeing what's going on. You just feel like every shot's about to go in. You know, we're about to get this stop right here. Yeah. You know, it's just, you just like, oh yeah, we're going to get it. Somebody's going to, a deflection, a tip. Something's going to happen that's going to go in our favor. And that was the energy kind of surrounding, you know, that whole March madness and that and when I was doing my, uh, my live streams, I was getting all my UCLA folks on because 
there was a sense of pride throughout the entire UCLA community, considering what everyone had been saying. I mean, let's not even take, okay, Mick Cronin, but hey, we're not a blue chip brand anymore. We're not one of the blue bloods is what they were saying. It, it was like they were, you know, a couple years ago. Yeah. Well, Steve Alford was coach and we lost, I think, Lehigh, no, St. Bonaventure's in the tournament. Uh, Adrian Wojnarowski's uh, alma mater. He was giving me a hard time on the internet, but we <laughs> lost. We lost to them. We lost to them in the tournament, man, in the first round. I know the play-in. I think it was a play-in game. I think it was the play-in. And that's when they just came with the UCLA sucks, and it's the worst we ever seen. I mean, and so for these guys this year, Mick Cronin, tip of the cap, um, and his staff for the job that they did so quickly to get these guys bought in. And then for the kids to respond in the fashion they did, just night in, night out. You Like you say, they sputtered at the end of the year. There's some game winners. They had to go through some emotional ups and downs. And they group together and go on that type of run. And to be right there, to be right there, if it wasn't for Suggs, hit that <laughs> half court. Oh, that was such a great, I mean, unbelievable. What a game, Dan. I mean, yeah. That was one of the greatest college basketball games I'd ever seen. But yeah, I'm proud of the UCLA Bruins this year. I'm excited about what the future holds for us. Um, I like the attitude that these guys play with. The uh, attitude is 100% correct in the, the attitude that they played with because uh, I had a chance to call their first two games for Westwood One Radio back in the NCAA tournament. I saw them in person, mm-hmm. and they seem to play with a purpose and a passion, uh, not just for the game, but for each other. You nice. know, bringing guys together you could tell you know even if a guy wasn't maybe getting as many many minutes as you know he felt he deserved it didn't seem to bother or impact that person's outlook and and everybody was connected which is the sign of a great team and a good coaching staff to to help guys understand and buy into that you did mention your kj live kind of instagram show that you and i unfortunately we didn't get a chance to uh to kind of have a little back and forth during uh, during the final four because I knew that would have been a lot of fun. But um, you, you mentioned getting a lot of your former UCLA players, teammates. Um, you know, how fun is it to you to be able to connect with them and other people in the basketball world that you know well and be able to share stories with them for other people? Because um, people like us, we're on the inside of, of the, the sports world and we get to know different things. And people want that curtain pulled back just a little bit and just to hear and see and feel some of these stories. How fun is that for you? I think the, the, the exciting part, man, is, is the fact that I, I look at these guys and ladies and, and, and everybody that I've interviewed as, you know, I'm a fan of them first and foremost. So I, you know, I adore them as, you know, the, the athlete and then the person. And, and so when I, when I get them on and, and I'm having a conversation, I want to, you know, I'm going to talk about where they're from and the childhood inspirations and, you know, what did mom and dad do? What type of blue, what are they blue collar? What type of, you know, upbringing did you have, my man? And let's figure out why you are the way you are today. What's affected you along the way? You know, I like to, I, that's the part that I get excited about when we can, you know, show some insight into a person's journey and how it affected them. And then I ask them about a lot of my guys I've asked about um, just what the, what their legacies to be. And I always find that answer to be really, really interesting and insightful because it's, it just shows that, you know, everybody, especially from my UCLA group, we're all were raised and groomed through UCLA to be on the sort of the same page and have a similar mindset about legacy and lineage and, and you know, family, you know, wealth, you know, get, uh, you know, just just things just that we, we're all on the same page about it. And that's 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 been that's amazing to me 
Um, I, you know, I did 65 interviews in about 55 days, man. I banked it all. Um, talking to some folks right now about what's happening on the next step of, of a podcast, you know, some episodes and cranking some stuff out. But um, it really, you know, was an exciting time and I'm looking forward to continuing it. Yeah, and I, I know I checked in uh, on, on quite a few of those. You had some great guests. You had some really great questions. And, and you know, your guests were, were engaged. I think that's part of having a good show is getting people to open up a little bit and share some stories. Um, I had a chance um, to, to play a couple different times at UCLA Open Gym Runs. When I was in the NBA, I would spend some time in L.A. I'd go play pick up in those games. They're legendary. So I can imagine you grew up having a chance to play a little bit, earn your stripes in high school and maybe get invited your college. And then when you're playing your professional career and extending it, you're going back in the summer and playing. How, 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 how amazing is it, is it to walk into the UCLA, I believe they call it the wooden gym now, and you look across and there's Kevin Garnett and there's this guy and that guy. What is it like to play in those UCLA open gyms? Um, you know, I tell people it's probably the the single biggest influence on my game, you know, in all of our games over the course of four years at UCLA are playing in those runs in the summertime. Because you got to remember, we're working out. We we have our own runs in the morning. We're also on the track. We're also doing the weights. And so that runs at three. And so because that runs at three, we're already on the four. You know, we're doing four days with a crazy high level elite all-time greats in the building run I did so when I played um in that run uh it's you know it's Grand Hill it's Magic it's Kobe it's Reggie Miller it's uh shoot whoever Nick Van Exel is Shaq it's Penny okay it's Penny okay <laughs> <Who> Penny come <laughs> with <laughs> come on man hey, but that but that's who's in the building yeah so well, it's like, that was at the peak of his game too before the injuries and it's just a host in the mid 90s, early. To, so I played in it when my because my dad would, would hoop in it. So he was bringing me up there. So I got a glimpse of like 88 through like 92 through, through 2000 and something. You know, that's my glimpse of it. And as far as playing and competing, man, and there's there's the workouts before there's the knockout games before and after. Also, where I used to go against a guy by the name of Sedell three. And so uh, he played with the Lakers, just big time guard but he showed me to step back, you know? So I learned how to step back because I'm playing knockout with him before the UCLA run and I'm getting the footwork that he's showing me the whole step foot. I'm like, Oh crap. So <laughs> I take that back to UCLA. They like, this dude doing step backs. Like what the heck is going on? But there's stuff like that. The nuances is what you really pick up on. And then understanding how to play and cut, when to cut, who understanding personnel, NBA personnel, who's who and what's what. Yeah. You know what I'm saying, Dan? You know, you know this. It's who's who and what's what. That just takes your your level of understanding about the game to a deeper type level. So when you play back in college individually, you know, you're just able to process things and move at a different type pace versus the guys that weren't doing it. You know, I think my my one experience really spending some time playing at the UCLA Open Gyms were uh, after it would have been right before Russell Westbrook's sophomore year. Mm -hmm. So he was a freshman and he didn't play a ton. He played a decent amount of minutes as a freshman, but I remember playing pickup against him and talking with him after a couple different games. I'm like, 
dude, where'd you come from? Like, cause I mean, you're, you're an NBA guy. You still follow college, but not as closely as you would have while you were in college. Sure. And, and he was like, ah, man, I play, I played a little bit last year. I said, well, you better play a whole heck of a lot more of this next year. Cause I mean, I was a pro at the time and yes. I couldn't believe like yeah. that, you know, what he was doing at that age. I think he was probably 19 years old. Well, he ended up going to the NBA with the third or fourth pick right after that. Um, but I remember that was a great example. And it kind of ties in your, your, your stories about kind of that growing up and learning process for the guys that are there consistently yeah. um, and seeing the growth of those guys. And what, and what it's funny, you, you said how you talked to Russell. I had a similar experience with like Juwan, Grant Hill. Like we're, cause I busted him one day at the Jordan Dome when Mike was filming on uh, Space Jam 1. So I was up there on the run zone there too. And they were even more crazy than UCLA because then you had Rodman and Ewing and some of these other names up in here going up and down. You know what I'm saying? So now, and I was one of the only uh, non-pros NBA guys on the floor at times. So it was just me, Chris and everybody else. And I'm just here spotting in the corner. Chris is just spotting in the corner. I'm spotting <laughs> up there. It over. I'm just first in. I'm sitting, over. I'm sitting over here way on the other side. Mike get it in the post. He do this thing. He, you know, draws the double. He's trying to find me. Maybe a skip. I, I got to hit it. And that was the pressure that was on me. But what, what I was going to tell you is I hit one of these game winning shots in that type of situation. Guys were like, hey, man, you balling, man. Man, you didn't play last year. I can't believe you didn't play. I'm like, yeah, I didn't. You know, I wasn't I didn't look like this because I had lost a lot of weight. I was just explaining to the guys. But they're like, man, you better play next year. But that when you tell a guy and I'm sure Russell had the same experience. But when you hear that from a pro after a run in that type of intimate setting where you know it's real talk going on it just does uh, it did wonders for my confidence man I believed in I could just do anything I believed it I came out the next year I averaged like 13 a game I went from averaging 1.7 to 13 after playing with these guys you know in the Pac-10 back in the heyday so yeah. it was like it's like how did Chris do it? I'm like man you don't understand these guys were gassing me up all summer telling me I could play <laughs> <laughs> well, basketball is a funny thing when you have something called confidence. Um, oh, and it's it's been fun to watch, uh, you know, my alma mater grow with that confidence level and get to the point where, uh, you know, they are truly elite. Um, and it's been it was fun for me watching UCLA calling those games at the end of the year, uh, seeing UCLA play with that confidence, because I honestly and I'll say this with 100 percent truth in my in my my words. College basketball on the West Coast is best. Obviously, Gonzaga needs to be there now for my for my sake. But when Arizona and UCLA are very good, and I think that's going to happen continually now with UCLA, and I think Tommy Lloyd at Arizona is going to get them back to, to that. And I think West Coast basketball uh, is going to be something fun to watch over these next few years. And I think the long, what's been most impressive about uh, the Zags are you guys' ability, just the the maintained level of excellence over this expended period of time. It feels like the last 15, 20 years. Cause I remember I was calling games for the WCC network doing Zag games and things like that. But y'all, I mean, that was a while ago. I'm like, man, did they spend in, in, just year in, year out. I mean, I remember the uh, my favorite Zags team cause I've been watching y'all for a while. Um, I liked guys like, uh, who's that, Santangelo? Yeah. Matt Santangelo and the, yeah, I think they lost the first elite eight team. Yep. That UConn when they lost the or I think UConn beat them, but they yeah. should have won. And it was I mean it was right 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 there. And then that team I I love Richie Fromm. Yeah. Uh, I, I was a big Richie Fromm guy. Great shooter. 
great shooter, just like how he scored the basketball. Obviously, your crew. Uh, obviously, though, this crew last year, I love Drew Timmy. I like that dude. Uh, yeah. I heard he's coming back to school. He's coming back. Yep. He's got the footwork that you talked about earlier where, you know, he knows angles. He knows getting the defender off balance. Uh, he knows how to create space. Yeah, he uh, he's, he's fun to watch just like you were on that low block to step off. And he's got that attitude and, he's, and he plays with that energy where you just like watching yes. him out the kind of Leitner ish, you know, yeah. he's got some Leitner in him kind of sometimes I'm like, okay, this guy right here. All right. What's going on? But no, nah, the future is bright, man. West coast basketball is back. Um, it's, I think the I think the pressure is on UCLA to maintain this. The, the, you know, Gonzaga, you, you guys are there at the top. It's up to us to maintain it over several years before we can start talking about. Uh, you know, I think you know. I felt like you know the media fans were like, "Oh, UCLA is back," and this and that's like, "Okay, we got to see him do it again." You know, uh, you know, hold your horses, but we yeah. got to see. I, I, I just being completely honest, I got to see you guys do it again. Well, I'm pulling for them, and I know uh, it sounds like they're they're working on a, a a schedule where they can both continue to play each other, which I think would be great for West Coast basketball. So, Chris, I really appreciate the time. Uh, it's been it was great hearing some stories. It was great hearing some insight on, on different things that are important to you uh, in your growth as a basketball player and what you like to see. So, uh, at some point, uh, we'll have to do this again. But thanks again for joining. I appreciate you, my man. Thanks, Dan. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.